Today's scripture comes from Proverbs 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no debts, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, like a master workman, and I was daily his delight. Rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited earth, and delighting in the children of man. You may be seated. As you're seated, let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask you as we look at this important topic of how we live our faith out in the work that we do, in the various careers and jobs that we have, we ask you that you today would open our eyes that we might behold your glory. We ask you that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our ears, that we would hear your voice. We ask you, God, that you would open our hearts, that we might believe, and that you would continue to reveal yourself to us in new measure, that we might be compelled to live lives that glorify you, and that we might find our joy in that. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this series that we've been in uh, through the summer uh, in Proverbs has really been purposed to help us to grow in biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom. And we want to grow in this way so that we might joyously and fruitfully uh, serve God in every area of our life. And this morning, as I just prayed, we are going to be looking at our work, our lives as we engage with the world around us, what that means. We need wisdom for every area of life. And so we framed a lot of the conversations through this series around this statement from a scholar named Bruce Waltke, and we've talked about this much, but he says that the wicked advantage themselves by disadvantaging others, but the righteous disadvantage themselves to the advantage of others. And so today we want to have that in our minds as a theme that runs all the way through Proverbs. We want to be thinking about that so that we can engage the idea of what we do and how we live our faith out in our work. It's an important aspect of it. We spend a lot of time working, and so we need to think about it in a biblical, Christ-centered manner. Uh, We need to think about it not only locally, but we need to have a general, global concern for the flourishing of the world around us in relationship to the work that we do. So how do we think better about this? How do we think rightly about this? That's the goal. Now, as I've done when I've talked about this topic in the past, and this is a a topic of passion of mine, uh, before I was in pastoral ministry, I... Uh, we, we owned a business, and before that, I was employed. Like, I had a real job, not a pastor job. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I've worked in the world among you, with you, and, and I, it's actually, I just didn't hear anything about this ever. It just was so rarely talked about in the way that I'm hoping to attack it this morning. So we've talked about this much around here. A couple months ago, I talked about faithfulness in our work and how I um, said the church in Smyrna, one of the churches, uh, the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3, Uh, just how that church was impoverished. And I believe that they were impoverished because of their stand, that they would not compromise their faith, which then limited their access to the marketplace. We talked about that a couple months ago, and here we are again in this same topic. And so as I've done in the past, I want to give some book recommendations, some uh, recommendations for you as you serve God in your work in a global city like Vancouver and what that really looks like. And so uh, Every Good Endeavor was written by uh, Tim uh, Tim, Tim Keller and Catherine Leary-Alsdorf. Um, it's a very good book. Kingdom Calling by Amy Sherman is fantastic. Uh, the Gospel Goes to Work by Stephen Graves, really good book. Visions of Vocation by Steve Garber, um, a book written by, he's actually a Vancouver guy, teaches at Regent College. And then there's a, a new book, brand new, called Work, simply called Work by Daniel Doriani. Um, very good book as well. If, if you're not willing to read, if you're like, Brett, that's five books on the same topic. Calm down. If you, If you don't want to read five books on the same topic, that's great. You're normal. That's wonderful. 
read Work by Daniel Doriani. Uh, I think it'll be really um, engaging for you. It's very accessible in terms of taking what the scriptures say and applying it to our lives in a really practical manner. It's a very good book. Uh, this morning, though, as we engage this topic all the way through the book of Proverbs, I want to frame it like this. I'll give you a bit of an outline of where we're going to go. Um, the first thing we're going to look at is the fact that God is a worker. Okay, anytime we're reading the Bible at all, any passage of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, one of the things we want to ask ourselves as we read the Bible, what am I learning about the nature and character of God in this text? So this is no different. We want to see how God, I'm going to try and show you, I think God is a worker. That's the first thing. Secondly, we're going to talk about the ethics of our work, uh, meaning what are the moral responsibilities for a Christian as we live out our faith through the work that we do? Uh, how do we see the values of our faith and how do we rightly align them and work them into the jobs that we have? And how do we, um, I don't know, you talk about principles of scripture and, and, and living for God in a way that would cause flourishing of his world that he created. How do we live in this? It's not going to be like Proverbs. It's not going to be a list of do's and don'ts or you know, a bunch of rules. It's going to be applying wisdom, God's wisdom, to the situations that we're in. How can we do that? And then third, we're going to look at our work ethic. Uh, All the way through Proverbs, the way that Proverbs teaches us, and really the wisdom literature in the Bible, the way that it teaches us is by contrasting two things. And so in Proverbs, it's the diligent and the sluggard. It's the hard worker and the lazy. And so it's a contrast all the way through the book of Proverbs. And so we'll highlight some of those as we look at it. So first, God is a worker. Second, the ethics of our work. And then third, our work ethic. Let me read again Proverbs 8 and uh, jump into this. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? This is lady wisdom from Proverbs. On the heights beside the way at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. And then we jump down to verse 22, the continuation of this. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, When he made firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. Your work matters because God is a worker. Your work matters to God because God is a God who worked and is working and you have been created to image him to the world around us. We have been created to image him to all of his creation. So Lady Wisdom in Proverbs here, it's a personification of the wisdom of God. A personification of the wisdom of God. So in Proverbs 8, it it, it appears this way. In the New Testament, it actually says in um, 1 Corinthians 1 that Jesus is the wisdom of God revealed to us. It says in Colossians chapter 2 that in him, in Jesus, we find all treasures of wisdom. So in the Old Testament, in Proverbs 8... Wisdom is personified. Lady wisdom is the personification of God's wisdom. But in the New Testament, we actually see that Christ, Jesus, is the incarnation and embodiment of God's wisdom. Do you see that? The personification of wisdom here and the embodiment of God's wisdom in the New Testament. Proverbs 8 tells us that wisdom was how everything started and it's actually how everything works. And the New Testament then tells us that Jesus... In Jesus, all things were created in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. This is from Colossians 1. All things were created through him and for him, and he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Again, the personification of wisdom and the embodiment of wisdom in Christ. So God is a worker. 
He worked in creation. He works now in what Matt preached about last week and did a fantastic job talking about God's providence. Talked about God's providence. It's the way that God is at work maintaining the universe he created, human life that he created, how he's maintaining it in an orderly and beneficial fashion that we might flourish as we obey him. God's providence. Now, there are other creation stories coming from the ancient world, and I'm not going to jump into them too much just for the sake of time. But what I do want to highlight is the significant difference between how the Bible says the world was created and how some of these other things, other stories, say that God or, uh, that the world was created. The primary difference really comes down to the fact that in these other stories of how the world came to be and how people came to be, the other stories are really talking about how the gods created everything, usually out of conflict, and how they created everything, and then they realized that they had this whole world, and they needed somebody to clean it up, and how work was beneath them, so they created human beings. Contrast that with the biblical story, where our creation does not come out of conflict, it comes out of God who has no equal, who has no person, thing, working against him in that way, who is supreme and sovereign over all things. And how God actually worked in creation. Not that he was beneath work, but that he is a worker who then gave his creation work. We, as his people, get to carry on that work. The gods, in the other stories, either worked and then left and took off, or they just didn't work at all. Keller and Alsdorf say this, In the beginning, then, God worked. Work was not a necessary evil, that came into the picture later, or something human beings were created to do, like in the sense that they were only created for that, to take care of the menial tasks of the world, but that that was beneath the great God himself. No, God worked for the sheer joy of it. Work could not have a more exalted inauguration. So work is not a necessary evil in life. It's not something that was beneath God. It's that he is a worker and then we image him in the world around us in the way that we do our work. We've been created to image God to the whole creation. Now, the late great Dallas Willard said work or labor is the creation of value that benefits people. It's just a good work definition. It's a kind of knowledge of God, an exercise of our God-appointed dominion. Work is not the curse of humanity's fall into sin. It's sweat from self-reliance that is the curse. It is sweat from self-reliance that is the curse. Work done in Jesus' easy yoke is no sweat. We need to resist the temptation to use work to build self-worth and acceptance and instead seek to enjoy and glorify God in our work. Now, here's the thing, and you know how much I love you. It's usually I say that right before something that hurts. You know how much I love you, but I would say for the most part, most Christians living in the city of Vancouver in 2019 wake up in the morning because they love Jesus, they read their Bible every day. They read their Bible every day spend a little bit of time in prayer, then they have a shower, a shave, they get dressed, put their work clothes on. When they put their work clothes on, they turn into a work person. And they go about their day and they do their job uh, as efficiently and they work hard and they they do it as well as they possibly can and then they come home and then maybe they can kind of move back into the spiritual zone again. Most people, I think, have this kind of concept. And here's why I think most people have that concept. A couple generations of bad preaching in the church. A couple of generations of devaluing work devaluing what we do with the bulk of our time in our working years. So I don't want us to do that. I don't want us to be a part of that. And like I said, before I was pastoring, I, I felt that tension. Well, if I, was, if I was in ministry, maybe I'd be doing something really valuable. Maybe my work is not that valuable. I felt that tension, and I think I had not been given a framework to think rightly and biblically about the work that I was giving myself to. And so for too long, we've just denied, I think, the intrinsic value of labor and work in our lives. And so our work is actually part of how we participate in God's world. Amy Sherman said, human beings are made in the image of God and God is a worker. Human labor has intrinsic value because in it we image or reflect our creator. Now, I... That's coming from her book, Kingdom Calling, and and the categories I'm about to give you are also coming from her book. Very helpful. She's quoting somebody else, and I can't remember who she's quoting, so I'll quote her quote someone else, and by the end of it, you'll think it's me, okay? That's the goal. 
the goal. That's how pastors do it. That you start out, you say, you say, as uh, Tim Keller said, and then the next time you go, as somebody said, and then you go, as I always say, right? That's how you do this work. Okay. She gives us six categories in this uh, about the way that God is a worker and then how we can image him in our work. Six ways that he works that we can actually participate in his work through our jobs. They're going to come up for you. Redemptive work, God's saving and reconciling actions. God's saving and reconciling actions. We participate in this kind of work. Um, You have people who are doing things like evangelism and pastors and counselors, but you have things outside of that where it's, it's peacemakers and mediators. People who are sitting down and bringing reconciliation to different situations. You've got writers and artists and producers. I'm going to rip through all of these. Uh, Songwriters and poets and actors who bring redemptive elements of the story of God into their stories that people might ask what the world is all about. We've got creative work. This is where God fashions the physical and human world that we are a part of. And so God, as a creator, creates us in his image. And so God has given us creativity. This is people in the arts and sculptors and actors and painters and musicians and poets. And we all display this in some way. All of us, every single one of us has a creative element. Some of us are more creative and some of us are less creative, but we all have creativity and we can actually project beauty that causes us to question, why is the world beautiful at all? It's because we have a beautiful creator. Craftsmen, potters, weavers, seamstresses, interior designers, metal workers, fashion designers, carpenters, builders, graphic designers, landscapers, novelists, urban planners, people who are putting everything in motion for the world that we exist in. We're thinking about it creatively because God is our creator. We're participating in his creative work and the creative mandate that he has really given us to work in his world. Third, providential work. God's provision for and sustaining of humans and all creation. Uh, I can think about so many people, parents. You're participating in God's providential work. Just think about it. That little human, right? That little human dies without you. You are there to provide and care for and nurture that little human. But we actually do that as a community, whether you have children or not. We are actually involved communally to care for one another and make sure that one another are provided for in these ways. Um, Bureaucrats and public utility workers and policymakers and shopkeepers and career counselors who point people in different directions and shipbuilders and farmers and firemen and repairmen and printers and transport workers and IT specialists and entrepreneurs who are thinking of unique ways to help the world be a better place to be. Bankers and brokers and meteorologists who tell us that hopefully the weather is going to be good. Research technicians and civil servants and business school professors and mechanics and engineers and building inspectors who sometimes don't show up on time. I don't know why. If you you work for the city, help me. Machinists and statisticians and plumbers and welders and janitors and all who keep the economic and political order of the world that we live in Working, all of those people reflect this aspect of God's work that He is providing for and caring for all He has created. Fourth, justice work. It's God's maintenance of justice. He is just. So God doesn't do justice, God is just. And we image Him when we lived just lives, when we live lives that are geared toward justice in this world. And so there's judges and lawyers and paralegals and government regulators and legal secretaries and politicians and city managers and people who run prisons and who are guards and who are researchers in these different ways and who are advocates for all manner of different people in the justice system, law professors, those who advocate for those who are marginalized in some way, all the NGOs that are going on, the diplomats and the supervisors and the administrators and law enforcement, all people like this are participating in imaging God's justice in the world. Fifth, compassionate work. God's involvement in comforting and healing and guiding and shepherding. 
doctors and nurses and paramedics and psychologists and therapists and social workers and pharmacists and community workers and nonprofit directors and emergency medical technicians and counselors and welfare agents. They all reflect this aspect of God's labor. Those who are advocates for adoption and foster care are aspects of, of God's care and compassion being seen. It said in scripture that in the gospels that Jesus had compassion on them. We image him and his story of his created world well when we are compassionate. Sixth and finally, we would call it revelatory work. God's work in enlightening with truth. Preachers, thank you very much. I get to be included. Scientists. Educators, journalists, scholars, writers, all who are doing this kind of work where they're revealing something that is true about the world. I think 500 years ago, everybody looked at the world around us and said, there must have been someone who created this. And about 200 years ago, they started to say, there's no way that there could possibly be a creator of all of this. We've figured it all out. And you know what's happening now? As we have better science and better research going on, there's people in the scientific community who are now coming back to the place and they're like, oh, there must be someone who created this. Revelatory work. The more we understand God's world, the more we understand his creator nature. Revealing who he is and what he's like. I, in fact, think all of these things are part of the revelatory aspect of the work because we're revealing compassion and justice and his providential care and his creativity and even his redemption in the way that we love and serve the people around us through our work. So Amy Sherman says this, in all these various ways, God the Father continues his creative, sustaining, and redeeming work through our human labor. This gives our work great dignity and purpose. Vocational stewardship starts with celebrating the work itself and recognizing that God cares about it and is accomplishing his purposes through it. Like it says in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 30, which you heard read, Wisdom was there in the beginning like a master workman. God is a worker and we are created to image God. So everything we do in our work has high value. Now Proverbs has a lot to say about God as a worker. The Bible has a lot to say about that. It's it's clear. But it also in Proverbs has a lot to say about how we do our work. Not just that we are to work and to participate in God's world through our work, but how should we do that? This is why we need to talk about the ethics of our work. So first, God is a worker. Second, the ethics of our work. Um, Proverbs helps us not so much with the black and white, right and wrong kind of issues, but Proverbs helps us with the gray. Proverbs gives us the wisdom that we need to know what to do as we operate in this world where it's not always an easy yes or no answer. It's not always an easy black or white. It's not always an easy right or wrong. Now, sometimes it is, and and we're okay with that. We have scriptural revelation to tell us how to live in these ways, but there are other times where we need real wisdom from God in how to approach a different situation. And you who are working in the city of Vancouver understand this. There are lots of times where you're just asking God, please help me, I need wisdom here. Daniel Doriani from his book called Work. So much labor goes to tasks that are pointless, even destructive by most measures. This holds true in obvious cases like gambling, pornography, or cigarette production. But should we produce food that is high in calories and barely nutritious, even if demand for it stays strong? Should we devote talent and energy to creating violent video games that are calibrated to addict their players? Some work is perfectly legal, but utterly immoral. I'm not asking that we outlaw potato chips. Praise God, right? (laughs) But I am asking whether disciples should devote their lives to marketing potato chips. This is a real question. I actually have a friend who marketed potato chips. (laughs) I was was thinking about it this week. I was like, I hope hope they were good chips. I actually know that they were good chips. They were hard bite. I think that's got to be as ethical as it gets as a chip, right? (laughs) I don't know. Shout out hard bite. I have no idea about that, actually, so don't, you know, I'm just a preacher. <laughs> like, if you think about, so think about, like, you can look this up. Google food scientist Doritos. Okay, food scientist Doritos. Do you know that they're chemically engineered to be addictive to you? 
that the way that they have made them, I mean, it is designed to make you want to just shovel them into your gullet. They hit your taste buds, super salty, super sweet, lots of oil. Even the texture is actually designed so that it is a satisfying thing that makes you salivate, which in itself is kind of a good thing. It's tasty. Mmm, salivating. I must want more. Mmm, brain says more. Yes, body says more. Mmm, more Doritos. It actually hijacks your, the pleasure centers of your brain to say that you need to eat more of this. It's true. They've, they've scientifically exploited the weakness in our human uh, physiology to make us want more of that. That's weird, right? Like, that's not like eating an apple where you're like, mmm, apple. <laughs> it's like Dorito. Like, this is disgusting. I can light it on fire and it burns. You ever done that? You can light them on fire. You can use them as fire starter. I've done it. I was eating them too, so just don't get all judgy. But I mean, <laughs> they're terrible for you. That's just a little tiny window into the whole industry that he's talking about. And I'm highlighting that to say just because it's not necessarily wrong doesn't mean it's right. Like, think about this. 50 years from now, our children's children's children are looking at our generation and they're like, you guys were stupid. Do you know why they're going to do that? There's a hundred reasons why they're going to do that. But one of them is that we look back 50 years ago on people who marketed cigarettes. Do you know who marketed cigarettes? People standing there in doctor's like jackets going like, hey, it's good for you. It's not bad for you. They knew it was bad for you. They knew. They also knew that they could sell a buttload of cigarettes. I think that's a technical term. If they got you hooked on it, people have died all over the world because they're just consuming this product that used to be marketed. I remember being a kid and it was marketed to us. Like I would watch race cars with like Marlboro all on the side. That's not good. 50 years from now, I'm sure that our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, whatever, I'm not sure how the generations work in years, I can't count are going to look at this and go, man, you guys had some jacked up food. It was killing you. And then you're like, yeah, I spent my life marketing that. You're like, sorry. Okay. We have to think about this. And so, I mean, just this afternoon, think about this. How, how are you loving God and loving your neighbor in your work? Like our, and not just the neighbors that we can see. We have to think about this globally. Neighbors in countries far away. Neighbors who have yet to be born. I don't have time to really go into this, and this is not a sermon on Proverbs and justice, but we do have to think about this. Our, our work should be just. Like, I don't think Christians should be involved in companies where, where the foundation of it is a lie. I just, we can't do that. We have to think through this rightly. With repentance. We have to think through these things. We also have to think about the underemployed, the unemployed, and those who are unable to work. Part of our work would be in that providential sense of making provision for others. Are we doing justice in our lives? Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he'll repay him. Are we thinking about the proceeds of our work not just being consumed entirely by us, but actually being extended that we might image the generosity of God in the world around us? It's just a thought. Chapter 11, verse 10 says, When it goes well with the righteous... The city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. You say, why? Well, the righteous are working for the flourishing of the city to their own disadvantage. They're working for the advantage of others to their own disadvantage. It's like it says in Philippians chapter 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, but it says to consider others. So are we considering others locally and globally as we go about the work that we do? Are Doritos going to be a product of flourishing in society? By the way, I have nothing wrong with Doritos. Like, if you work for Doritos, just come talk to me after. I'll just high-five you. It's, it's, all, it's all fine. It's just an example. So how do we live like that? How do, we, how do we engage in this? What I want to do this morning, a little bit different, I want to invite Jeff Dittrich up. You want to come, come on up here. Give him a welcome. This is Jeff. Um, Jeff and I have had fantastic conversations about faith and work and specifically around the issue of the ethics of our work and what that looks like. So I just want to ask Jeff, I mean, I know you, I know you and Bree, your wife Bree, your three little girls are amazing. They love our three little girls. It's very cute. It's wonderful. Um, just tell us a little bit, what do you do? Um, Jeff's one of the elders here. And so, yeah, just tell us what, 
what you do. I'm, I'm wondering how many people are craving Doritos right now after how vivid of an image that was. Um, I, so I'm, I'm Jeff. I am a business and technology lawyer here in Vancouver. Uh, two years ago, I started um, a, a law firm in Gastown uh, where we work with entrepreneurs, investors, and high-growth companies. We essentially help uh, businesses uh, grow rapidly. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good, righteous thing to do. I, yeah. <laughs> In the ethics of your work, I mean, the complexities of business law, technology law, mm. the complexities of helping a business grow quickly, all of those things, how have you kind of held on to your convictions of what it means to be a follower of Jesus as you go about that work? Yeah, it's a good question. I'll, I'll start with a, a story. Um, so about 15 months ago, uh, I got a phone call out of the blue uh, from one of the most prominent investors in the technology community here in Vancouver. And I, I was just shocked that I even got the call. You know, I just started my, uh, my firm, and uh, somehow he had heard about me, and I was just pumped. And so I'm, I'm listening to him on the phone. He's making an investment in, in some kind of a company and is telling me uh, uh, the terms of this deal and sends me the documents. Can you please get back to me and let, you know, let me know what you think? Um, so I hang up. Absolutely, I'm going to work really hard and impress this guy. Um, and so I, I, I'm working really hard. Call him an hour later. Really excited to share with him some of the advice I have. Um, and first thing I start with is a joke, though. I say, hey, you know, do the, does the world really need another dating app? Uh, the, the name of the company just sort of sounded like a dating app to me. And uh, he says, Jeff, no, of course not. It's an escort service. Oh, <laughs> Um, so he explains to so, me... So for those of us who don't know what an S Prostitution. Are, prostitution, okay. Yeah, 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 just to clarify that. Yeah, just, <laughs> it's a, so sorry. more secularly acceptable way of saying prostitution. Yes. Um, and so uh, uh, he explained to me how this is very profitable um, and uh, why this might be a good investment for him, even though it's not his normal investment. But I had to share with him that, you know, my, my moral convictions as a Christian don't allow me to support this in any way. Um, that as much as I, you know, would love to work with him and his, his other ventures, it, this just has sort of set the tone. Um, and so I, I won't be able to support you. I won't be able to help you with this project. Um, uh, and, and that was sort of that, I thought. And in the, the 24 hours that followed, he, he asked me to, to uh, help him with that particular investment three times. Uh, the first one, he offered to give me the largest retainer I've ever seen. Um, the second time, he offered to double his rate in addition to that if I did the work. Uh, the third time, he said he would not only do those two things, but bring all of his other uh, businesses and investments to me um, if I would help him with that work. Um, but every single time, it was just a clear no. And, and the reason is, you know, I, I have been bought by the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And that affects every aspect of who I am, every part of my life. Um, work included, and in, in a lot of cases work especially with how many hours I spend there. Um, and so I spend a lot of time navigating those complexities around how do I honor God in the work that I'm doing as a living sacrifice to him. But to what cost, Jeff? Because I know that there's a financial cost of saying no to business. Mm-hmm. But just, I mean, can you elaborate a little bit just on how holding your convictions comes with a cost in that way? Yeah, so I I don't want to gloss over the cost at all because the cost is great. Um, The the cost is great. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Did you say the largest retainer you'd ever been offered? I think that's what you said. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, the cost is great and and it's it's difficult. Um, You know, the temptations are there around every corner. Uh, Even in obedience... Um, it's a lot of weight to carry uh, when you are faced with the consequences of those decisions. And, and, um, and and that's been hard. Um, So, so the, you know, the, the cost is great, but to me, I, 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 you know, I've seen the cost in the, the example I gave of of that escort service. I've seen the cost um, in any time I have had to confront another person in the workplace about not supporting in the work that they're doing because right. of my moral convictions. Right. That's been past employers, that's been colleagues, that's been um, 
clients, that's been potential clients, and each time it may be financial cost, it may be reputational cost, um, it may be loss of confidence in, in me as a leader, as us as a business, um, as uh, you yeah. know, me as an individual. So there's, there's cost. Um, but to me, truly, the cost of compromising in those convictions right. is much greater than the cost of obedience. Well, and you've got, which is phenomenal, to think that way about it. And I think we need to make those decisions before we enter into the place where we're all of a sudden tempted with real deal, like what can happen. So we have to think about that on the front end. But you've got a staff of people that work with you. You've got people who, who are probably planning on working on this account. You've got people who work on lots of these things. And, and, and hey, why is the boss turning down work? Probably that becomes a real question. Yeah, yeah. So I, I spend a lot of time, I have to spend a lot of time explaining these decisions um, that are being made uh, when we're choosing not to work with a client, why that is. Um, you know, I don't have a Christian office uh, or a Christian team. Um, and so, you know, I'm explaining those convictions and why I land in those places. Um, you know, I'll share one last story is I, uh, uh, more recently I got a phone call uh, from someone uh, that was referred to me and, and he's, you know, talking really fast. We're doing this deal. Someone's buying my business. Really exciting. It's, it's a massive acquisition. Uh, will you be our lawyer? We need your advice. You know, we'll send you this huge retainer. He tells me about his business. Yeah, e-commerce. They do e-commerce tools. Great. Very familiar with that. No problem. Um, so we get to work. I'm working really hard. Team's working really hard. And uh, a few days later, I have a call with their U.S. lawyer. Um, and on that call, halfway through, the U.S. lawyer says, hey, so what, what are your thoughts on the regulatory aspects of this business? I'm thinking e-commerce. Like, what are you, what are you concerned about? Um, and so I ask her, and she says, well, you know, I, I mean, the, the issues around the particular industry, given that it's a sex toy company. <laughs> and, so, and so I'm sort of in shock. Um, had not at all seen this. And, uh, and this sort of illustrates that, I, you know, I get this wrong sometimes. Um, I don't see everything. And, uh, and so I, I quickly wrap up the call, hang up, and call the client and, and let him know that, look, I, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to act for you in this. You'll get all your money back. We won't bill you for anything. Um, and, and then had to have all of those hard conversations with the team that now won't be paid for their work and all of this sort of thing. Um, and so... It is very difficult, but the, the thing that I would encourage you with and what challenged me was that the world works at a, a very fast pace, um, but there is wisdom in not, hmm. um, but, but slowing things down. Because in, that was an example where, you know, moving at the pace that those around me were moving at, I didn't spend the time to discern well hmm. um, and, uh, and investigate well. Uh, and so, uh, so, so that was something that really challenged me, and, 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 and I see that play out each day. That's fantastic. Thanks, Jeff. Would you say thank you to Jeff? Um, I mean, after the first gathering, I just had conversation after conversation of people who go, I got a story for you, too, and I know you do. I know we could have 50 people just line up, and perhaps it's actually something we should do in terms of creating a forum to have that conversation about how you deal with these things. And it's just an idea that came up between gatherings of creating a forum for conversation around this in a particular way, maybe just do something on, a, on an evening and get together and talk about it, because it's a real issue. Um, I was going to do another interview as well this morning, and, and uh, I know that this person handles this issue very well with great integrity in their work. And I said, would you come and speak about this and just share some of your experience, and um, I didn't know what had recently been going on, and, and we just decided after a quick conversation, um, maybe this is not the best time to share it, because it's happening right now. These are real-time real things, and, and, and just so you know, I'm not, I'm not a big Debbie the Downer. I'm a pretty like, hopeful person, a pretty optimistic person. I don't see it getting a lot better. And so I see it getting worse before it gets better. And I think it's just something that we need to be prepared to have the conversation around and actually shine some light into these different areas where you sit down with somebody and say, here's why we turned that job down. Because I believe this about life, and I think it's not a good thing for the world to have a new escort app. And so I'm not going to participate in that. We need to understand the ethics of our work. We also need to understand, and we're, we, we look at this, that God is a worker, the ethics of our work. And then third, I want to move into this and, and, and bring this to an end. 
our work ethic. Our work ethic. Are we a sluggard or are we diligent in what we do? Um, first, the sluggard. Let's look at this, and we'll look a little bit at the diligent and tie it together. But the sluggard. Proverbs 6, verse 9 to 11. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? Which I think is a hilarious thing to say. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When, you, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Verse 9 says, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? I'm going to give you three different things that I see of the sluggard in Proverbs. Uh, In Proverbs, the sluggard is a person who can't get a project started. Just can't get it going. Secondly, the uh, Proverbs teaches us that the sluggard is a person, I'm going to move through these quickly, who can't finish a task, who can't bring something to completion. It says in 1227, well, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. Let me, as a, an agrarian upbringing person, bring that into your urban context for you. That means that you go out, kill something to eat, and then just sit there and watch it rot because you decide not to cook it. It means that you go to the grocery store. Let me break it down for you, right? No. <laughs> we go get our food, we cook it, and then we're like, I don't want to eat. 1924, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it to his mouth. can't get a job done is what this is getting at it's the kind of person who starts something but can't bring it to completion 2213 the sluggard says there's a lion outside i shall be killed in the streets 2613 says the sluggard says there's a lion in the road there's a lion in the streets as the door turns on its hinges so does a sluggard on his bed snooze roll over Guilty, right? Snooze button, roll over, snooze button, roll over. Okay, Christ City, there's no lion. This is a person who finds an excuse to not do their job. This is a person who finds an excuse not to do their work. Well, there's probably, I mean, I could go to work, but maybe there's a lion in the streets. And then you start to believe your excuses and you start to demotivate yourself from the things that you're called to do. So the sluggard's always got an excuse on why they can't do it, rationalizing laziness. And here's what happens in the life of the sluggard. 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. 21.25, uh, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Here's the thing. If the sluggard can't get his work going and can't get his work finished and won't face the day because they fabricated some excuse on why this couldn't possibly happen and I couldn't get to work, because of those things, the sluggard has cravings but is actually restless who, because they've not taken hold of the things that they want. I want success, but I can't get it started, I can't get it finished, and I find excuses not to do my work. That's what Proverbs is saying. And I just, as I think about this, I'm wondering how much of our generation's restlessness and anxiety is just caused by the inability to get going, the inability to complete a task and really stick with something long-term and overcome our excuses in the middle of it. So here's the takeaway. Proverbs says, don't be a sluggard. (laughs) Welcome to Christ City. It's been great having you. 1026 says, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Nobody likes working with someone like this. Listen, laziness in Proverbs is not just a character flaw. It's communicated as though it is a moral failure. It's a moral issue. And here's why. How can you live a righteous life advantaging others? How can you live a righteous life disadvantaging yourself for the advantage of others if all you're ever doing is looking for an easier way out of the situation you're in. It's a moral issue. The diligent, though, are different. This is what it says in 10.4. A slack hand, or the sluggard, the slack hand of the sluggard really causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. 22.29 says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. 12.24, the hand of the diligent will rule, and then contrasting that, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. The proverbial virtuous woman, Proverbs 31, is a picture of a diligent laborer. Proverbs 31.13 says, she seeks wool and flax 
and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. One of the things that when I was dating Allison, we've been married almost 16 years now. When I was dating her, she's such a hard worker. I just love that about her. She has always been and has never not been a hard worker. There are mornings where she gets up in the morning while it is yet night to go and run boot camps for some of you who just are sore for days after. (laughs) She's a hard worker. I like that. I love that she models that not only for others around her, but for our three daughters. She's a hard worker. She's diligent, according to Proverbs. Now, we've warned against the sluggard and the consequences of that action, but I think we do need a little, uh, just a quick proverbial warning uh, for the diligent, lest you uh, take that too far. Um, Diligence is not to be confused with workaholism. Now, probably in this room, I would imagine most of us are tempted more toward being workaholics than we are toward being lazy. That's my guess if I had to just sort of rank where I think we are percentage-wise. I would say more of us, maybe vastly more of us are tempted toward being workaholics. Now, Proverbs doesn't have a word for workaholic. Um, The sluggard and the diligent are just there to to contrast uh, vice and virtue, really, in this way, like the righteous and the wicked. But Proverbs actually does see a point and commends to us the ability to rest. Uh, 23.4, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Here's what it's getting at. Don't wear yourself out chasing Whatever it is, corporate ladder climbing, wealth, a certain income level, don't wear yourself doing that or wear yourself out doing that. Be wise enough to restrain yourself and rest. Don't wear yourself out trying to achieve. Be wise enough to know when it's time to quit. Here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway. Take a day off, right? God is God and I am not. His world will continue to work if I take a day off. It was very hard for me to believe a few years ago, but it's true. I've learned it. I can testify. He doesn't need me. God is a worker. This desisting or ceasing from labor is actually built into the creation narrative. It is in line with his character. Genesis 2 verse 1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Now just stop there for a second. You have never had a project that big. (laughs) Look at what he says. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Take a day off. You know who's guilty of this? I'll tell you right now. Students, take a day off. I know you got to study and I know somebody expects you to study seven days a week, 12 hours a day, and you got to study, study, study. I have to do this, I have to do that. I'm telling you, students, take a day off and trust God. He'll make those hours that you have to study a lot more effective if you rest. And moms, figure out how to do it. I'm not a mom, I'm married to one. Rest. Your exhaustion in caring compassionately for others is not always helpful. Men and women in corporate settings where your extra work and your overwork and your workaholism is rewarded financially and you're well compensated for being a workaholic, trust God. Rest. It's not wise to continue to work that. We follow Jesus. That means we can rest from our work and then we can work from a place of rest. We're not trying to achieve something where we find our primary identity by working hard enough to get the accolades that we so desperately desire and we think we need. We've been given everything we need in Christ. Work hard like God, who is a worker, but rest from your work as he did. Now, in doing that, we, we need to think about it. And this is what Keller and Alsdorf talk about in their book. We need to re-narrate our work so that we understand it in light of the entire truth of who God is and what he's done by creating and sustaining this whole world. And I'm going to close with this because we need to think about it. What does it look like to re-narrate our story of work? See, God has worked 
to conquer Satan, sin, death, hell, and the grave in and through the work of Jesus, his life and his death and his resurrection, his ascension. He's worked to do all of that. That's handled. He has brought us into his family. We are servants in the kingdom of God, and we then get to be ambassadors of the kingdom where we do our work. So we have to understand that as our primary identity, working that out in the things that we give ourselves to. That's the first thing, re-narrating our lives, re-narrating our work in light of who God is. Um, whether we are tending toward the sluggard or we're tending toward workaholism, you need to know that in your weakness, you can turn to God. Confess that to him and ask him to help you. If you have a hard time getting the engine running, ask him to help. If you've got a hard time turning the engine off, ask him for help. He'll meet you in there. We can ask him for wisdom in anything. He'll help us with our work ethic. The presence of sin in our world, which is an ongoing reality that we're faced with. We live in a fallen world where there's lots of messed up stuff happening. That's going to make our work difficult. But further, like Jeff talked about and like others of you have shared and I know could share, being a follower of Jesus today means your work may be difficult because it's directly opposed. Because the ethics that you want to go about your work, those are directly opposed. So we need to think through this. And we need to expect those difficulties and ask God for grace to handle them. Renarrating our work means that we work in light of the larger narrative of who God says we are, in light of his saving and redeeming and renewing and transformative work that he's doing in our lives. We live in light of that truth. But we live in light of the reality that our first parents fell And the consequences of that was that work would be difficult. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. And one of the consequences was our work would be difficult. It says in Genesis 3.17, Cursed is the ground because of you. He's speaking to Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. In your pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And then it says, Thorns and thistles shall bring uh, bring it forth for you. So we live in a cursed world that's thorny. Thorns and thistles, and I doubt many of you are farming, but thorns and thistles in our work. Issues that we have to navigate around, things that we need to pluck up and remove. How do we do our work in a cursed and thorny world? Well, we re-narrate our work, meaning that we're mindful that we serve the God of the universe, who in Galatians 3 it says, became a curse for us. Removed the curse from us and became a curse for us. I think that's a foretaste of the future that we are in to inherit. In re-narrating our work, we have to be mindful of the fact that we serve a Lord who wore upon his head a crown of thorns. And I don't think it's by accident that through Adam's sin and rebellion, work became thorny. And that upon the cross of Calvary, Christ died with a crown of thorns upon his head. I believe is a picture of the fact that he is reversing that. See, we work in a cursed and fallen and thorny world, but that is not where we're headed. We are headed toward the reality and have been pointed toward the reality that he's making all things new. God is at work making all things new. Our future promise is not a cursed and thorny existence. Our future promise is the curse is removed and the thorns are plucked up and that we can live our lives in peace, knowing that he's the one who is making all things new. Would you stand with me as we respond today? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.